From Vintage City Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, it's the Vintage Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Greg Sanders. I want to read you a passage of scripture this morning in a paraphrased form. For God, who was so deeply in love with the world, he determined to give. He gave His very own Son's life. He offered His very own Son to purchase humanity. And anyone who accepts and believes His Son is part of the family. For God, who was so deeply in love with the world. Really, that's what Easter is what we celebrate. For 2,000 years, the church has celebrated this incredible love of God that was exampled through Jesus going to the cross, giving His life, and raising again. And so love seems like an appropriate topic for today. It also happens to work really well with where we're at in Scripture. We're in 1 Corinthians 13. I have a question as we start. I would love for you to give me some feedback. Shout it out. Um, I can't tell you Jesus is not the right answer, but I can tell you I'm looking for other answers. Okay, but before we do this, I want to set you up. If I do this with my head... And I say, what is love? (laughs) How many instantly get the night at the Roxbury stuck in your head? And and what is the next line? (laughs) Baby, don't hurt me. Right. So my question is, what is love? What is love? Tell me. What do you think? Come on, shout it out. Relationship. What else? Sacrifice. That's a good one. What else? It's patient. Kindness, goodness. Okay. My point in that is that we're, fa- we're fairly well-versed with what love is, aren't we? It's common for us. You see, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 13, will say it this way. If I could speak in any language in heaven or on earth but didn't love others, I would only be making meaningless noise, like a loud gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I knew all the mysteries of the future, and I knew everything about everything, but didn't love others, what good would I be? And if I had the gift of faith so that I could speak to a mountain and make it move, without love, I would be no good to anybody. If I gave everything I have to the poor, and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others... I would be of no value whatsoever. So to this young Corinthian culture that the Apostle Paul is attempting to to coach into life, he shares with them just a simple reality. My love matters more than my gifting. And what we're good at, what we can do well, is secondary to our ability to love others. It's pretty simple. Paul will share with him that love is what makes my life substantial. According to Paul, all those other things, all those other giftings, all those other skill sets, to live into those without love is akin to wasting your time. What that tells me is that there's a natural tendency in us to believe that what we contribute to the world around us might justify a lack of love in us. 
It tells me that I may naturally want to offer my skills and what I can do more than my love. Paul reveals to them that love is my choice. No one can make me love. But here's the problem. Neither is anyone responsible for my lack of love. It's proprietary. So, back to our question. What is love? Song ensue? Yeah. That's where the dilemma starts for us. Because the Corinthian culture is very much like the culture in our day. If you looked across the landscape of modern America, the Corinthian culture was very, very similar. It was a culture that was fairly affluent. And I know that at times we may not feel affluent, but in a global perspective, we are affluent. It was a culture that had moved past their daily needs being the core issues. They'd moved into being able to pursue pleasure, pursue recreation. They had several words for love, and they, like us, interchanged these words. For the, very, the same word they would talk about loving God, they would refer to loving pasta. Some of, some of you have been in, in church gatherings enough to say, I know he's going to tell us the word. I'm actually not going to use any of the Greek words for love today because it doesn't, I think it's, better, it's stronger to not use them. But they would interchange these words. And their culture was similar to ours. Most of their love conversation was based on the concept of exchange, which means they would use the word love to describe things that benefited them. And if you think about the way we use love, that's really what it's like. I love pizza. Do I really love pizza? Or have I built a relationship with pizza wherein when I take in pizza into my body, it satisfies me well and it makes me full? I love going to the gym. Do I really love going to the gym or do I love what happens when I go to the gym? That it allows me to eat pizza. Let's get a little bit dicier. I love my wife. Do I really love my wife or am I super happy about the exchange that's happening between us? Companionship and life and I'm not lonely and she looks good, all those things. You see, this is the Corinthian culture at this time. Those things aren't wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong to use the word love for those things, not at all. But there has to be a moment where we understand that Paul, under the authority of Jesus, is talking about something very different than that. Paul's talking about something called sacrificial love. He's speaking of a willingness to live for the benefit of others. And what Paul's essentially saying is, without sacrificial love, you're running the risk of standing before the Lord someday and coming to the conclusion that you wasted your time. Now, I don't know about you, that's a sobering statement. Jesus makes a statement in the scriptures that says this idea of coming into the kingdom. We come into relationship with him. He says that he and the Father will come and make their home in us. I and the Father will make our home in you. It's an amazing idea. It's not just an idea, it's a reality. In 1 John chapter 4, there's a very simple phrase. God is love. So what Jesus really says is, 
Part of living into the kingdom, part of this encounter is that love is coming to live inside of you. Because he says, I am the Father, God is love, you can follow the logic track. Could I submit to you that love has a deep desire for your life? In fact, Ephesians 2 will say it this way. That our King, our Savior, has master works prepared for us that He wants to do through us. A simple question, will I surrender my life to love? Will I say to God, I'm yours. You can do whatever you want with me. What's the point? Love has an agenda for your life. That's the point. And Paul's trying to help this young Corinthian culture to see this. That this love that's in them is passionate about getting out. So back to the question, what is love? And Paul gives a very, very simple answer to that question. Love is patient and kind. Real, authentic love is the outflow of patience and kindness towards others. Now this word patient is interesting. The word in the Greek is makrothumai. Its definition, if we look at it in the original language, is having a long mind. That doesn't make a lot of sense to us, so let's flesh that out a little bit more. It's a long holding of temper, intentionally slow to anger. The word deals specifically with disposition or posture. To the question of how long is long enough, patience will answer as long as it takes. To the question of why, patience will answer, because you matter. The reformer, Martin Luther, will say it this way. In the first place, love is long-suffering, that is, patient. is not hasty and quick to wrath, revenge, impatience, and to insist upon its own rights. But it is patient and suffers the unrighteous and weak until they finally come. Love is patient. Now Paul will go on. It's not just patient, it's kind. This word kind is interesting. The word in its original origin means to show oneself mild as opposed to aggressive. It means to be useful and pleasant as opposed to harsh. It carries definitions like easy, good, friendly, compassionate, generous, tender. And this word specifically deals with how we engage others. And it's an easy word for us to flesh out. It means being kind and helpful. How many in here are struggling with, I don't understand kind? How many would say, I get it, I know what kind is? Okay, so there's a bunch of you that don't care. What if you're in the middle? That's an interesting place. Kind. 
The key to understanding kindness is this, this word harshness. How many would say in your lifetime harshness is a reality that you're not a super big fan of, but you, you sense it in yourself? Here's my question. What if love is this simple? What if the kingdom of God must first be released through patient kindness before it's ever released through skill set and gifting? Because that's what Paul's saying here. What if beyond being that simple, what if it's mandatory? You see, the word that Paul uses for love is patient and kind. These words are in a, in a form in the Greek, and, and, and the, the form is, is to just state something as a fact. So it would be the same as Paul saying, anything other than this is not love. Love is patiently kind. See, the real problem becomes this phrase, others. Who fits the definition of others based on Paul's teaching? Do we think others in this scripture might be used to deal with our family? Yes or no? Simple question. Does it deal with my coworkers? Does it deal with the total stranger in King Supers? Does it deal with the cop? to deal with the president. You see, the problem with this word others is it literally means others. It's not something that we can parse and break down and apply it to the people we want to apply it to. If we're going to live this word, now Jesus makes a statement that that I honestly am not a huge fan of. If you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. And what he says in that, if you don't do it to the least of these, you're not doing it to me. His idea is that we live global, which means everybody around us is a candidate for patient kindness. See, this word patient, being a posture word, it's the idea of, let's say I'm going to reach out my hand. I'm standing on the side of a swimming pool. And I'm saying, I'll be here for you when you need me. This word patient means I never leave that post. And it's my nature to say, hey man, you just lost your window. Get out of here. I'm not hanging out here all day. I got stuff to do. But you see, patience says, I'm in a posture, I'm in a position, I'm pushing myself towards you in a way that here's what's going to happen. I am never going to remove kindness from the way I handle you, ever. Because you're awesome? No, it's not because of that at all. It's because God is love. And if God is love, and love is patient and kind, God is patient and kind. And to really understand this word in the Greek, this word phrase means God is patiently kind. It means he has set a position towards us that he's never recanting. I am always moving towards you, always mild. How many people have thought through the fact that God is mild towards them? He's not angry. I'd love to tell you today, God's not angry. 
even when we screw up. He dealt with his anger on the cross. He poured it out on his son. That is why the verse in John says what it says, that God, because of his deep, passionate longing for humanity, decided to deal with sin, and so he put his son on the cross and let him take the execution that should have been ours for our sin so that he would never again have to be angry at sin. Because now he has said, his revelation is, I am mild towards you. Please don't excuse mild and mistake it for weak. Mild is a choice. It's a choice because he says this, I have plans for you. I believe in you. I know who you could be. I know who I built you to be. And no matter how many times you try to run away, I'm never leaving this position with you. I will stay here in your life. And the invitation to us is to model what we first receive. That in my lifetime, according to Paul, my giftings, my skill sets, no matter what they might be, they really aren't the measurement of who I am. The measurement of who I am when I stand before the Lord is going to be this question. Did you learn from me patient kindness? And did you give it away to the world? How many would say there's people in your lives that you struggle to be patiently kind towards? You see, my goal this morning is not to bring a deep sense of wrong or conviction. Because that would be a, probably a misunderstanding of patient kindness. Because what we've just understood is that God is patiently kind towards us. What I'd love you to hear this morning is an invitation from heaven that says, I deeply want to sit with you, be with you, love on you, pour into you, so that you can learn to give away what I give you. You see, we're so hardwired to want to work into it and just be better and do more. And the reality is, this type of love can only be released after it's received. See, the first step in fixing the lack of love in me is to commit to time, sitting with him, receiving his love. Maybe for some of us in the room, the idea that God is mild towards you just blows your mind. Because you've assumed he's angry, and he's irritated, and I just want you to look at the scriptures and I want to challenge you with the truth that's there. God is love and love is patiently kind. Maybe it blows your mind to think that, that God has positioned himself towards you with a statement of, I'm here to help you. I'm honestly here to help you. I'm here to be your friend. I'm friendly towards you. I've already decided I want to be friends with you. But you don't under, no, I, it doesn't matter. I decided I want to be friends with you. So will you take my hand? But, but I'm, I'm not, I know. I decided I want to be friends with you. I decided I'm not angry. I decided I could fix whatever it is. Will you just take my hand? You see, love is patiently kind. Maybe the second step, step in this process is after I sit and receive and begin to learn how to release it, I just make a covenant with God. You know what? I want to live the way you lived. So I'll covenant with you 
and I'll commit to loving the world around me the way you've loved me. What happens if a people become revolutionized and consumed with patient kindness? What happens if the people that name the name of Jesus become known in the cities they live in as incredibly patient, kind people? Perhaps revival has always been intended to be ushered the patient kindness. And we've been always invited into religion and that's why it doesn't seem to work. There's a moment where Jesus is on the cross and I was gonna talk about it a lot more but my intern had an observation. He's like, it's really good but it sounds more like a Good Friday service. I'm like, okay, good, that's a good idea. Let's not do that. He's like, it's a little dark. I'm like, okay. But there is a moment. For six hours, Jesus is hung on the cross. Prior to that, the entire night, he was kept awake, he was beaten, he was made fun of. He's with, he's with the soldier's guard. They've ripped his beard out. They've put a crown of thorns on him, and they've hit him over the head with a stick to drive the crown of thorns in. They've just mocked him mercilessly. He stays quiet the entire time. Never says a word. In and of that, I, I, I get lost there. There was never a moment to defend his own. He was suffering wrong. He was suffering abuse. It's a whole other conversation. Nine o'clock in the morning, they put nails through his wrists. They put nails through his ankles. They put him on the cross. He begins to suffocate. Crucifixion is, is a death of suffocation. About three o'clock, somewhere towards the three o'clock hour, it's been dark for three hours now because the universe has decided to stand up and say something's happening that you need to pay attention to. So for, for no reason other than God declared it, it gets dark. So dark that in the history books, if you study history, it will declare in this moment, darkness fell upon the land. Figure out a way to prove it away, I don't care. There's a guy alongside of him who has lived a scandalous life. He's been an absolute scoundrel. He's stolen from people. He's abused people. And in this moment, while he's on a cross alongside of Jesus, he one more time has a self-focused thought. He's like, huh, this guy here, I think he's the real deal. I think I can get out of jail free. And so in a moment, instead of having incredible compassion for this innocent person who's suffering a brutal death, he says, hey, later today when we're both dead, will you remember me, please? And what does Jesus do? Because if, if I'm on the cross, that I would have been at my end. It's been a long, long day of suffering. My emotions are depleted. I'm just done with humanity. I'm done with people. And I'm ready to react and tell him, you idiot, you lost your moment. You had an entire life to do one thing good and you couldn't. Don't talk to me right now. Aren't you glad I'm not the one that was on the cross? <laughs> and Jesus says to him, today you'll be with me. There is zero that man had ever done to earn an ounce of compassion. But Jesus in a moment shows us what it looks like to live patiently kind. To covenant with ourselves, I will not allow harshness to come out of me towards others. 
I will tell you, you cannot learn that from a person. You can only learn that from God. If you leave here today deciding, I'm going to be patient and kind, you will fail. But if you leave here today after going to him and saying, man, I'm so captured by how patient and kind you are. Will you do something in me? Will you help deal with my harshness and my anger? I give you my life. You will find what you need to live there. I want to take bread and cup this morning. We take bread and cup every week. It's part of our journey. It's part of our, our worship. In the bread, we remember the body that Jesus gave on the cross. Incredible amount of promise comes in that body. He took our sin and our transgression on his body through the wounds that he suffered. And we take the cup, which he held up and symbolically said to the disciples, this cup represents something. It represents a covenant that God is making between you and him that's new. My blood seals it. No longer will you be held accountable for your actions. I'm taking your penalty. I want to wash you clean. So we celebrate the bread and the cup. We do that by breaking into friendship groups and family units. And this morning, if you're here and, and you say you hey, haven't been in church in a while, it's, it's an honor to have you with us. There'll be family members with lanyards in the back corners. And if you're like, hey, I'm super unfamiliar on what it looks like to take bread and cup, find one of them and let them be on this journey with you. But I'd love to invite us to take bread and cup this morning as we close and deal with this issue. If I've been wrestling with patience and kindness, what it should be for me is an indicator that I probably need to come back into relationship with love. I need more love to impact me. See, because God is love. Let's stand this morning. Thanks for listening. For more great content, please visit us on the web at VintageCityChurch.com.